You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So we're continuing our practice of having a psalm as our first reading through these seven Sundays in Eastertide. And most often it's a psalm of lament. Tonight it is most definitely a lament, and one that the tradition has long associated with the figure of King David. The Hebrew superscription on this psalm reads, A Maskil of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. A maskil, which is Hebrew for an instructional piece, which suggests that the psalm was preserved to teach something about the way that we should pray. When he was in a cave, which refers to two stories in 1 Samuel, when David was on the run from King Saul, who was trying to track him down and exterminate him. And he was fearing for his very survival. With my voice I cry to the Lord. With my voice I make supplication to the Lord. Why? Because there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for me. It is a desperate situation as the young man whom Samuel had anointed to be the new king to replace Saul, is forced to flee to the hills, live by his wits, fight to survive. No refuge. Except, the psalm continues, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. This psalm, this prayer in a cave is a classic lament. In its willingness to speak fully and openly about the awful shape of the writer's current life and situation, and then, almost as if through clenched teeth, call on God to heed the writer's cry, to be the promised refuge and portion. Laments, I think, are often prayed with both tears and clenched teeth, with raw honesty and stubborn, insistent resilience. In times marked by fear, anxiety, loneliness, and oh, so many unknowns, It's important to embrace that tension when we pray. How long, O Lord, how long? There's more to be gleaned from tonight's gospel text about how we are meant to be. As we wind our way toward the end of this 50-day season of Eastertide, Tonight's reading from the Gospel according to John invites us to anticipate both the Feast of Pentecost, which falls two weeks from tonight, and also Trinity Sunday, which lands a week later. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. The setting for this teaching is the upper room on the night of Jesus' arrest. And having just washed the feet of his disciples, Jesus is now sharing with them the things that they will most need to know. This is a tense, critical time. The poor old disciples not at all clear on what is about to happen. In John's telling, Jesus has a good deal to tell them. Fully three chapters of teaching, plus a chapter-long prayer. But very little of it has to do specifically with what they are to expect over the coming three days, much less how they should organize themselves when time comes to proclaim the gospel. Or at least it doesn't deal with those things directly, because Jesus here does teach them how to be in God, how to position themselves in trust, and that is, after all, what they'll really need. Section begins with a statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, how many commandments do you suppose Jesus gives in the gospel according to John? One, just one. It appears in the chapter prior to this teaching. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This new commandment is then reiterated in the chapter that follows this one. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, that's not to say John is encouraging the community to which he writes to ignore what Jesus teaches elsewhere. The Sermon on the Mount, for instance. But rather that all of those teachings ultimately fall under the rubric of the new commandment. To follow the Sermon on the Mount, in other words, is to consistently practice love, agape, to steadily choose the path of meeting one another in love and in servanthood and in friendship. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, Jesus says, an advocate to be with you forever. The Greek word here is paraclete, variously translated as advocate, comforter, and guide. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, Jesus says, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you and he will be in you. This is the Holy Spirit whose coming among us will be celebrated on Pentecost. Now that Pentecost story is one of power and wind and fire, 
Whereas the teachings in John speak far more to the day to day to day of life in God. Not that that also isn't extraordinary, of course, by no means. This advocate, this spirit of truth, will be known by you because, quote, he abides with you and will be in you. Here's the thing. As Craig Kester points out, it's not as if the Spirit is the advocate who brings our case before God in the hope that God will do something merciful for us, but rather quite the opposite. So Kester says, God has already given the gift of love unstintingly through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And such love is what creates genuine life. The Spirit is the advocate who brings the truth of that love and life to people, lives it in and through them, breathes it into us. Even more remarkably, passages such as this one from these chapters in the Gospel according to John unveil what Jamie Clark Souls somewhat mischievously calls the quatrinity. The quatrinity. In John, she writes, in John, Jesus insists that the intimate relationship that exists between him, God, and spirit also includes believers. The believer does not stand close by admiring the majesty of the Trinity. Rather, she is an equal part of it. John tries to push at this by grabbing hold of a number of terms and repeating them. Abide, love, the language of being in, and later in the discourse, an emphasis on oneness. Johannine believers don't imitate Jesus. They participate in him wholly. They are not left orphaned, as the following verses point out, but rather they remain in Christ, in God, through the Spirit, the Advocate, and there find that they can choose to love selflessly, live out servanthood and friendship, one with another. And while we hear Jesus say that the world cannot see or know him, that's not signaling that this is all meant to be a closed club which shuts out those that we deem bad or undeserving or worldly people. No, this term, the world, points to that which is alienated from God and hostile to Jesus and his followers. In that sense, St. Paul was of the world. Before, on that Damascus road, he recognized that Jesus was calling him. As soon as Paul was able to swallow his pride and his fears and see this whole new reality, see it truly, even though he has temporarily lost his literal sight, Paul found himself very much relocated from the world in Jesus Christ through 
the Holy Spirit. No, this is not a closed club at all, but a movement. The way, as the book of Acts puts it, with doors open to any and all who are open to being transformed, redeemed, through the loving, saving grace unveiled in that cross. Redeemed and then sustained, sanctified, held and nourished in the presence of God's abiding spirit. That's where we are day to day to day. Now, Jesus speaks of these things on the night of his arrest, assuring his little band of followers that they will not be left orphaned. They won't, even if there would have been days when it wasn't easy to keep that truth in view. Just as surely as it was hard for David to keep his soul from fearing that he might not get out of that cave alive. And yet, could he pray, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Even in the anxious and uncertain and worrisome days in which we live, we are not orphaned doesn't mean that things can't be tough or painful or even marked by the deepest losses and grief. But even death itself will not, cannot have the final word because Christ is risen and the Spirit of God abides with us and will be in us now and ever and always. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.